CBHDD is reminding people that the Georgia Crisis and Access Line can help those worried about opioid and stimulant misuse. The toll-free number is online and is active 24-7. More information at opioidresponse.info. Glad to have all of you with us for uh, Political Rewind today. we got a lot to talk about. Greg Bluestein, political reporter from the AJC, is with us. You read him virtually every day. His byline is on the front page of the paper, if not once, more than once. I thought there used to be a rule against having your byline on the front page more than one time in a given day. You're shameless, Bluestein. Well, it's a very busy time to be a political reporter. Very busy time. Yeah, I guess it is. And... Uh, Our special guest uh, today, who Greg and I will be spending some time talking with, we're really pleased to be able to welcome back to the Political Rewind studio, uh, Speaker of the Georgia House, David Ralston. Thank you so much, Mr. Speaker, for being here. Thank you, Bill. It's uh, great to be with you and Greg. Um, Let me start, and then uh, Greg will weigh in. I want to just talk to you about uh, some stories that are making news and have made news overnight One of them is we've been watching pretty closely on this show the uh, efforts that Dominion, the uh, voting machine vendor, and the Secretary of State's office are making in trying to get us ready with these new machines for the uh, presidential primary uh, on March 24th. And uh, there were reports overnight that in the in the rollout of those machines and their attendant apparatus yesterday, there were problems in five of the six counties. They were not with the machines, the voting machines, the ballot markers, as they're called, or the or the machines that actually record the vote. They were with the 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 first step, the entry, where you have to what validate your uh, your your credentials as a voter. So how worried are you? It's a massive undertaking. Does it give you any pause? I know this is the Secretary of State's job, but I'm sure you're watching it carefully, too. Well, we are watching it carefully. Uh, uh, I I wouldn't say I wouldn't use the word worried uh, right now because uh, I don't have enough information about uh, the nature of the problem and and the extent or what... um, how easy or not easy it will be to correct it. So uh, I think it's uh, it, it's premature to to hit the panic button. Uh, I think, um, and I say that because I know that the Secretary of State's office went through a very uh, exhaustive process in in, in evaluating all the uh, potential vendors and uh, looking at all the the technology that would. Uh, really uh, uh, give us accurate elections here in Georgia. Um, And until I'm proven otherwise, I've got confidence in their uh, assessment of of this vendor. And so, uh, but I am, uh, I do look forward to getting a report about uh, what happened. happened, What happened, Greg, they, it was, it was in five of the six counties that that tried these uh, systems out as an experiment, essentially. And it was, again, the initial step of the process. And in some cases, the People had to wait 45, 50 minutes. They left to let polls stay open an extra hour to, to make sure everybody got a chance to vote. In a couple of the counties, yeah. And it, and it reignited Democratic calls for handmarked ballots, saying that it was a mistake for Republican-led legislature to, to go with these machines. Uh, what, what do you think about that? I'm, I, I think that handmarked ballots are, are, are really a step back in time. Uh, I mean, we have the technology. I think, I mean... We do technology in medicine now. We do it in science. We do it in education, business, uh, and there's there's no reason that we have to go backward in terms of going back to uh, handmarked ballots. I've talked with elections officials all over the state, and they think that would just uh, be a uh, almost a nightmare scenario. Uh, I don't know anyone that's been in charge of the state elections division that favors that. Uh, so um, um, uh, I'm, I'm not too uh, uh, keen on that idea. Great. Let's switch gears a little bit. It's been more than six months since Governor Kemp signed into law an expansion of Georgia's medical marijuana program, but it's been stalled because the speaker, you, the lieutenant governor, and the governor have yet to appoint a commission that will oversee this expansion. What's the holdup, and, and will you be appointing anyone soon? Well, you know, this is a, a, a new undertaking for the state. This was a priority for the House last session, uh, as it had been for 
uh, a number of sessions leading up to this year, and I thought it was important that we get it right. Uh, you know, we didn't want to just uh, draw names out of a hat. Uh, uh, we, we wanted to be very, very uh, deliberative in how we selected these individuals, and I'm sure that the, I know the governor is, and I'm sure the lieutenant governor will do the same. Um, uh, we have our uh, appointees ready, um, and uh, so I, I think you'll be seeing that commission uh, become appointed and, and going to work within the next few days. Um, as long as we're talking about uh, uh, that, uh, the AJC this morning reported that we're, we should be expecting the um, the USDA, the, the Department of Agriculture, has uh, now in their last farm bill, as you well know, uh, made it possible for farmers across country, including here in Georgia, to start growing hemp, which a lot of farmers have been very eager to do. The AJC reported this morning that there's now we, we should expect to see rules put in place rather quickly here. Well, I don't know if rather quickly, but we should expect rules soon that will give Georgia farmers a, an OK on growing hemp. Have you been getting a lot of pressure in your office about that? There's not a lot of pressure. There is a lot of interest. And, 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 and I think there is a desire to move forward uh, on that. Um, um, we passed the bill back during the session. The uh, federal government has just now completed putting together their rules and regulations, as uh, uh, the AJC reported. And now the uh, Georgia Department of Agriculture will weigh in, and hopefully they will move in an expeditious way. I think I uh, was told or read somewhere that they expect to have their rules and regs uh, in place and adopted by the end of the year which is you know less than two months away. So uh, I, I think we're going to be ready to go with that by the by the uh, by the new year. You happy about that? You happy that it will expand the the ability of farmers to raise an additional crop for money? I am. I, uh, I have uh, that bill was championed in the House by the chairman of our agriculture committee, Tom McCall from Elberton, uh, who is a farmer. Uh, it was all co-championed by Representative John Corbett from down in uh, Lowndes County, who is a farmer, um, and uh, in talking to them, this will uh, give farmers in Georgia the ability to, to utilize uh, more quickly uh, their farmland, um, and they're excited about it. And 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 so, and I've been in Southwest Georgia in the last uh, about a month ago was in southeast Georgia last week, and I can tell you that there's a lot of interest in this topic there. We had some major news on the healthcare front in the last week, as you're aware, with the two waivers, one Medicaid expansion, mm -hmm. limited Medicaid expansion, and uh, the other uh, sort of market insurance program. Um, the governor's office says it's too early to talk in depth about the costs linked to the, those waivers, including the administrative costs that, that would be required to set those programs up. Critics say it could wind up costing as much as a full expansion. Are, are you worried about that? Because it'll be your chamber that will have to figure out the, the funding for these programs. I'm not. And, and, and let me, I want to commend the governor for his work on these issues. Uh, I have been a big proponent for years that Georgia should be able to design a health care delivery system uh, for Georgians. And uh, uh, we have differences from other states and so you know the cookie cutter approach in my view just doesn't fit and so I think this will allow us to uh, to, to craft a uh, a program for Georgia and I, I commend the governor for his work on it I look forward to uh, working with him as we kind of flesh out some of the details on it but uh, as to the cost I, I'm not sure where uh, what kind of math uh, the uh, opponents are using, uh, but I do know this math. I know, I, I have since I was speaker, I know the problems we had getting the federal government to fund transportation. I know that if we went to a full Medicaid expansion, and the federal government chose to walk away from that that portion that they're funding then that falls on the uh, people of Georgia, the taxpayers of Georgia. The implications to our budget would be catastrophic. Uh, and so uh, uh, I'd, 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 
I, I reject the math. I think that it's, uh, uh, I don't think it's accurate. And, and I think that it, uh, we'll, we'll look through the details of these plans and, uh, and, and look forward to getting them implemented. Get, look forward to them hopefully being approved by the, uh, uh, by the federal government, too. Um, when we talk about the cost and when Greg suggests that there are critics who th- wonder if it's going to be worthwhile, whatever the amount ends up being, one of the reasons I think may question that is, according to the governor's own figures, uh, the Medicaid expansion initially will uh, provide coverage for an additional 50,000 of the more than 400,000 people, you know these numbers, who are without insurance at all here. Um, and and so when you start talking about whatever the cost may be, I think there are an awful lot of people out there who w- wonder whether an expansion of 50,000 people is significant and whether there ought to be an effort to do more. Well, I bet it would be significant to those 50,000 people. Sure, absolutely. Fair and, point. And, and you know, um, the, the argument that I heard all last session from the other party was, you know, if we're not going to cover everybody, let's cover no one else. Well, I that I, I don't agree with that. I mean, I think that uh, some, you know, we have to move the ball down the field, and this certainly moves the ball down the field. And this is going to be worthwhile to uh, and helpful to those Georgians that will be brought into a coverage by these measures. Well, presumably, uh, I think one of the arguments uh, f- that the governor's office would make is that they're going to put this, they have already said they're going to have a, whether it's a work requirement, community service requirement, some obligation on the part of those who want to apply uh, to to uh, show that they're active in one way or another, uh, that presumably this is like a carrot and stick approach. You're going to encourage people maybe to get into the job market, whatever, and you can expand the numbers there. But as you well know, federal courts in a number of jurisdictions have rejected the job requirement as uh, as as being um, unconstitutional as as Medicaid has been attempted to expand under those terms. Well, this doesn't. This is not simply a work requirement, as I understand uh, the proposal. It could be any type of community job engagement, job training, maybe job training, volunteering, uh, right? And, and it's eighty hours a month. But but the, I mean, which is not a lot of time. But the question becomes whether the courts are going to accept that. Or well, not. I can't predict what the courts are going to do on that, uh, and I wouldn't pretend to do that today. I I, I don't know. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that they would uphold its validity, and uh, if they don't, then we'll deal with that when it becomes a reality. <laughs> okay. Let me ask you this. Sure. Uh, we, we talked about the governor's estimates that yeah. about 50,000 people could, will enroll in this new program. What do you – is there anything that Republicans want to do next year about the 350,000 or 400,000 or so, depending on the, the, the estimate, of people who still remain uncovered? Well, I think that uh, one of the things we're going to do is continue to try to grow jobs here in Georgia because that's a pretty good uh, way to solve this problem. Uh, we, we have a good track record of doing that. Uh, uh, I'm open to looking at uh, short uh, in, as an alternative to uh, other measures, uh, but uh, I don't, I'm not aware of anything specific at this time. Um, uh, I don't think anyone in the majority uh, caucus has an appetite for a full Medicaid expansion, frankly. Um, let's switch gears um, to a, to a, to an interesting topic uh, that you're well aware of, but a group of about 10 lawmakers signed a resolution last year, or this year, I should say, um, seeking to oust you from your position um, because of your use of uh, what they think is, what they say is your abuse of legislative leave privilege. Two of those lawmakers were recently demoted um, from their committee assignments. Um, was that a punishment? And and are you? How do you feel about your position in the caucus going into next year? I feel good. Uh, I have. Uh, I've been all across this state. I think the caucus uh, sees that I am. Uh, uh, I'm engaged in trying to keep us as the number one state in the nation in which to do business. Uh, I'm engaged in trying to uh, continue to build on a record of bringing jobs into the state and to keeping. The Republican Party in the majority in the House of Representatives, um, and um, I don't know what uh, um, I, you know. I don't know what other people are doing. 
there seems to be some kind of an obsession with with me, I guess, among a few. Uh, uh, but uh, you know, there was no punishment. I mean, you know, people like to, uh, I guess, you know, play victim sometimes uh, uh, on, on these kind of things. But you know, we had a chairman. Uh, Chairman Ed Rinders, who uh, resigned his House seat to, for health reasons, um, and that opened up uh, a vacancy in, 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 his, uh, in the Governmental Affairs Committee, gave us an opportunity to sort of look at some other committees and, and, uh, and, and, and kind of do what uh, my, my favorite philosopher Kirby Smart likes to do, and that is put the best people out there, but, pe- but people in positions that other members trust and respect, uh, because if you don't have that trust and respect, uh, you're not going to be very effective, frankly. And uh, so uh, uh, that's what we have tried to do and what we tried to do last week. And so, you know, it, we're moving forward, and, and, and I'm pleased with where we are. But Mr. Speaker, you, you just mentioned the words respect and trust. I mean, certainly you would not reject the notion that as Speaker of the House, it is well within your prerogative to, in fact, punish members who you feel are not operating in the best interest maybe of your entire caucus, would you? I mean, isn't that one of the things that goes with being Speaker, being able to uh, uh, make that kind of call? I've heard it happens. (laughs) Uh, I know it happens in Washington. And uh, And occasionally in Atlanta. uh, I've heard in the past that it's happened here. Uh, I mean, this is not some kind of uh, uh, bizarre behavior. Uh, this is... Uh, it's fairly the, typical you know, the, of a the, person the, in the, power. The, the speaker's job is not to be popular. The speaker's job is to manage the House in such a way that we can do the business that the people sent us to do. Uh, and, 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 and at the core of that job is putting the best team together... Uh, and I think that I have put together the, uh, the best team, and I did it in consultation with other members of House leadership. And I think we have the best team in place uh, to lead us into next session, people that, that are committed to the greater goal of moving Georgia forward and keeping our party in the majority in the Georgia House. Okay. Um- Let's talk about the budget for a couple mm-hmm. minutes. And sure. I always, uh, when we're on the show talking about it, remind people that the disclaimer we make is that we are a state agency, George Public Broadcasting, although the funds that uh, that we use for shows like Political Rewind, On Second Thought, the salaries that we get as, as hosts of those shows are paid out of our, our donors and foundation money, not from the state. So that said, um, it, it wasn't hard to detect a certain tension between the governor's office and some legislative leaders, I think, including you, when the governor announced first these uh, the, the, the budget cuts for the uh, supplemental budget and then the 6 percent, the additional budget cut in, in the next fiscal year. But where it really seemed to become uh, much more apparent, whether you agree with the cuts or not, was when you decided – in your, to go ahead and hold budget hearings, to take the governor at his word, he wanted to get things done, uh, and started making plans for those. And we learned the governor's office told agency heads, do not attend those hearings. Uh, that's got to have been an uncomfortable moment for you. Well, no, there, there, there was no tension. Uh, uh, you know, the governor and I, I don't, I don't, you know, share our conversations, but... Uh, uh, but I did make him aware of what our plan was. Look, we got a big budget in Georgia now. I mean, you know, Georgia is a big, growing state. Um, and at the end of the day, the budget that's adopted by the General Assembly in session uh, is the budget that will uh, that the state will operate under, subject to the line item veto, uh, for uh, all year. Uh, I don't think that it is unrealistic, certainly. I think it's good business practice, frankly, to give members on the Appropriations Committee as much time and as much information as they need to make informed decisions precisely, and choices. Precisely, but the governor's office shut you down when you attempted well, they to haven't, do that. Well, they, 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 we're going to get some of that information. We're going to get that information. 
and uh, then we'll take whatever time we need to take next year to do a budget because uh, uh, when you when you go it when you go into a budget cutting session as as the governor is going to recommend, I mean we're going to be asked to make some difficult uh, choices, uh, and so I think that it's uh, we're going to do that very carefully. We're going to do it very deliberatively. Uh, and uh, because, you know, many of the things that uh, apparently have been talked about uh, as possible cuts are things that we have worked to sort of restore to the budget uh, uh, since the great downturn in um, 08, 09, 10. Um, and um, so I, I, I would uh, – some of those are very important. They're yeah. very important to me, and I think they're very important to Georgians. Uh, and I think that at the end of the day, what must be pointed out is that we have – we have been very uh, frugal with this – with our budget here in Georgia. Uh, I think we have managed in a very conservative way. We have retained our AAA bond rating through some very difficult financial times. And I think that's a, a compliment to both the executive branch and the legislative branch. Uh, but having said all of that, you know, we're going to do our job as a House of Representatives in, uh, in, 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 in really sitting down and going through this budget carefully. Yeah, Greg, I, I, don't, I don't, you know, we have read between the lines on a lot of the comments that are being made by legislative leaders, including by the speaker just now. There's no question that there is some discomfort over the size of these budget cuts and the fact that they're sort of mandated is across the board, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the friction is out there. I know that, you know, you, you might use a different word, but what I, what I want to know is you, you kind of touched on this, but is there an area of the budget that you feel absolutely has to be safeguarded that is right now uh, under threat of cuts? I wouldn't say an area of the budget. Uh, um, and again, I mean, uh, I know you guys like to, 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 to look at uh, um, and see friction maybe where it's not there. Um, I mean, we all have different views of the budget, okay? Um, I'm sure the governor don't expect me to agree with him on everything in the budget. I don't expect him to agree with me on everything in the budget. But, um, you know, I, I, I think that uh, we, we have some... Um, uh, Again, we have a very conservative budget that we have some important things out there. Now, let me make this point. I think this, this, is, this really must be made. So the departments and agencies have, are in the process now. They're probably about through the process of submitting their request to the governor's office or the OPB. Um, the governor then will take those, and then he will sort of go through those and vet those, and um, some he may agree with, some he may not. I'm assuming that's the process he will go through. And then he will put on our desk um, uh, a proposed or his recommended budget. Then we will start going through the process. I mean, that's the, that happens every year. Mm -hmm. uh, and... Uh, you know, I don't know what's going to be offered up for cuts. I mean, I've seen things in some 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 of the literature that suggests that uh, uh, the rape uh, kit mm -hmm. funding that we put in there, um, do I think that should be safeguarded if at all possible? Absolutely, because that keeps people safe. That is resulting in convictions of bad people in this state. Um, uh, a, uh, senior Citizen Protective Services. Do I think that's important? You're darn right I do, because I think we have an obligation to care for the, uh, for the elderly who can be preyed upon and harmed and abused. Uh, so, you know, there are things like that that I've seen out there, and, and, you know, but we'll look at all these things. I don't know what's ultimately going to come to us in the form of a recommendation, but uh, so... Much of this is, 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 is speculative, uh, 
Will but, you still have your Will you still have your budget hearings uh, your, as you typically do after the first sure. week of the session? So the agency heads will come to you in terms of making their case for the big budget for the fiscal year. I assume that's right? correct. Okay, that's still happening. And on the revenue side of things, casino advocates have been saying every year for the last ten years that this year is the year. Um, they're saying twenty twenty is the year. What do you think? Well, if 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 you're listening to the ones that have been saying it for the last ten years. You probably want to listen to somebody else. <laughs> um, now, look, uh, uh, um, you know, there's uh, I, as I travel around the state, I have people ask me from time to time, why don't y'all do casinos or why don't you do horse racing or why don't you do sports betting? So um, it, it, it occurred to me and, and some of my leadership team that when uh, we were faced with the possibility, at least, of a, of a slowdown in revenue, that this might be a good time to, to really kind of put it all on the table. I don't think that we had taken a thorough look uh, at the issue and, and put all three out there. That's why I created the uh, Joint Committee on Economic Growth uh, put three chairs in charge of it. Uh, uh, I'm the Halloween monster, and that's the three-headed monster <laughs> with, with uh, Chairman Alan Powell, Chairman Ron Stevens, and Chairman Brett Harrell. And what I asked them to do was 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 to get as objective data as they could, and then go out into Georgia and listen to what Georgians have to say. Uh, and uh, uh, come back and, 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 and tell us what you hear. Uh, I mean, uh, there's a lot of groups out there that uh, are very strong proponents of sports betting, for example. Um, and Tennessee, of all places, that's behind everything, including football here in Georgia. <laughs> uh, you know, they passed a sports betting bill last uh, this spring. And... Um, so a lot of interest in that here in the state. A lot of interest in horse racing has has, has been the case. Uh, so it know, sounds like twenty twenty could be the year. Twenty twenty uh, will will uh, you probably will hear a fair amount of discussion. Let, let me, uh, uh, if I can, move to a, another subject. I, I don't want to drill down too deeply on it because it's really representative of a larger question. Uh, Representative Ginny Earhart, Earl Earhart's wife, Powder Springs, uh, told uh, she sent out a statement saying that she was thinking about putting together a bill that would punish, have criminal, would create a criminal violation, a felony violation for doctors who aid with minors who are transitioning from one gender to the other. Um, my, I don't, I don't want to necessarily drill down on that itself. But I wonder, Mr. Speaker, if this isn't representative of the kind of culture war that it feels to me like you have spent a good part of your speakership trying to avoid. When you see a measure like that, how do you react? Well, first of all, I have not had an, uh, an opportunity to discuss that um, proposal with Representative Earhart. Have the great I have a great deal of respect for uh, her. She is a, uh, a, a very bright, capable member with a great future, and uh, so uh, I know that uh, she's whatever she's working on, she puts a lot of uh, effort into. Uh, anytime, though, Bill, that you have an issue that touches on the parent-child relationship and on medical ethics and, 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 and those kind of questions, there's, there is a great sensitivity there and a great deal of, um, um, they're just tough issues, mm. really tough issues. And um, so uh, uh, I will, hand, I will, you know, read the bill when it, if it gets in bill form. It just strikes me this is kind of like issues like religious liberty, where you are the, – the, the bills may be incredibly well-intentioned. I'm not questioning the sincerity of people who present them, but they do put you in a position 
which leads to the discussion, businesses don't want to deal with a state that has this kind of, you know, culture uh, war going on within it. That, that's what I'm getting at here more than anything else. You, this, do you think this helps the image of the state of Georgia to continue to have this kind of battle? Well, I don't want to lump her bill in with, okay. with the other. Right. Um, you know, I, I think my position on the other bill is pretty clear by now after a lot of years. And, <laughs> And 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 it's a position that uh, um, that that I'm comfortable with in my own uh, uh, conscience and in my faith, uh, and I'm also comfortable when I look at the experience of other states, uh, North Carolina, uh, Indiana, um, and um, uh, Arkansas came real close, and and um, so there are states that, uh, and I've never had any leader from any of those states, and I've talked to some from all of them, say that y'all really ought to do this, you know? I mean, it's it's a great thing to do. Uh, Well, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. You got it, we've just got a couple minutes left Yeah, let me ask you a a final sort of global, more Mm -hmm. global 2020 question. Democrats woke up beaming this morning after last night's flip of the Virginia legislature for the the first time after a generation of Republican control. There are now two multimillion-dollar efforts focused on your chamber next year, one Democratic, one Republican. Um, is, how do you see last night's election results? Do you see it as a wake-up call, as an anomaly? What, 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 did you, what was the lesson you imparted from last night's? Well, these elections are, are more than anything else local, uh, driven by local concerns, uh, I think largely, but not altogether. I think... Uh, if you look at Kentucky, for example, I mean, I'm told that Governor Bevin uh, had some serious likability uh, issues, and I don't know about those, but apparently uh, there was something going on because he was the only Republican who was defeated statewide. In fact, they won an office or two that uh, they had not had before. Uh, Mississippi had theirs. Uh, a uh, big day for the Republicans there. But I, I, I do have to tell you, though, Greg, to be very candid with you, um, we can spin this, you know, nine ways to Sunday. Um, but at the end of the day, there were indications coming out of both Kentucky and Virginia that I think should reinforce what we in the Georgia House majority have been saying since last November, and that is we have got to have a, um, we've got to, we've got to have a good message and we've got to communicate a good message uh, in, in the suburban areas of our state. We, you know, Kentucky, uh, Governor Bevin lost the, uh, the suburbs uh, on the Kentucky side below south of Cincinnati, never lost those before. Uh, the uh, Virginia legislature flipped because of the suburbs. We lost seats, as you know, in the suburbs of, uh, of, of North Metro here last November. So uh, much of our effort is targeted in those areas. And I think that, uh, you know, the issues that we're focusing on this uh, session or in the run-up to this session, such as maternal mortality and gang violence and uh, uh, transportation and logistics, um, I think are going to be issues that are going to resonate uh, with those voters. Um, but uh, we, we have got to do a better job of communicating um, with those. And I think we cannot turn a blind eye to those results in those two states. Um Mr. Speaker, one last question that relates to that, and then we, I know you've got to get out of here. And that's, you know, the, 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 there's been a lot of writing in the last uh, couple of weeks uh, in the national newspapers, and we've talked about it on Political Rewind. We used to, the, uh, the cliche used to be all politics is local, all elections are local. Uh, and now uh, people are saying that's no longer true. All politics is national. It's all about 
Donald Trump. You could say that about Kentucky. Yes, Republicans won most of the constitutional offices, but it was it was uh, uh, Bevins. It was the president coming into Kentucky the night before the election for Bevins, standing on the stage with Bevins. Uh, that may have contributed, some people would say, to his decline over the last 24 hours. Virginia. The president disagrees with you, well, by the way. Well, really? He, he did say <laughs> did, dragged he him across did, the finish line. Did he tweet that out by any chance? <laughs> might have. So, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is a year from now we will wake up in the it'll be the day after the general elections in Georgia. How much whether it's the congressional races, legislative races, whatever, how much impact do you think President Trump? How large does he loom over everything that's going to happen in politics next year? Well, the president is enormously popular in rural Georgia. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I can tell you, I, I've been in rural Georgia. Uh, he is enormously popular, probably less popular uh, in the suburbs and in the cities. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, any incumbent president running for re-election is going to loom large over, uh, the, uh, uh, over the elections that are going on. Um, and it is true. I mean, in 2018 was first time we really had seen legislative races here in Georgia become nationalized. I thought the real irony in Kentucky yesterday was apparently, uh, apparently, because I'm not up there, uh, the, the Democratic nominee for governor tried to localize it, yeah. and the incumbent Republican governor tried to nationalize yeah. it. And yeah, it was so, a fascinating dynamic. You're it, absolutely it, it, right. It was. I mean, uh, you look at the issues that they ran on, and you know, uh, I, Virginia. I don't know. I've 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 seen indications that there were some other issues at play up there. Um, so, um, I mean, the the president is is is. I mean. He's a different kind of president. Are all of the Republicans on the ballot in Georgia, to one extent or another, going to have to basically defend President Trump in running for election next year? That's really, the, I think, the bottom line of my question. I think anyone who wants to uh, be on the ballot is going to have to um, at, to be at peace with their relationship with the president. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, no, seriously. I mean, I, I I saw in the news this morning, one of the front runners for the Democratic uh, nomination is um, um, Senator Warren, uh, and I'm kind of pulling for her actually to be their nominee. But she's like, you know, if you don't believe, if you don't agree with me on this issue and this issue and this issue, then you shouldn't be running in our primary. Well, I mean, you know, that's. Kind of the same thing on the other side okay. there. I'm, we'll leave that as the last word because we've kept you longer than we said we would, but you've been very generous with your time. Uh, Speaker Ralston, you start the new session of the General Assembly January 13th. We'll be watching it carefully on uh, Political Rewind, and we'd love to have you come back as the session gets going to talk about how things are developing. But thank you so much for being Look here Look forward to today. coming back with you. I've enjoyed it. We're going to take a break um, and let uh, Speaker Ralston uh, make his way out of the studio. When we come back, Greg Bluestein and I will continue talking about everything that's happening in politics in Georgia, including a lawsuit just filed by the Democratic Party, Greg Bluestein, uh, that relates to absentee ballots. We'll be do right that and more after these messages. When did the GPB's vehicle donation program provides an easy, convenient way to support public radio for you and your community. We'll even pick up that car, truck, or SUV you've been wanting to get rid of for free. Give us a call, 877-GPB-1-CAR, or go to gpb.org slash cars. We truly appreciate supporters like you, and thanks. On the next Fresh Air, Saeed Jones talks about his new memoir, How We Fight for Our Lives, about growing up black, gay, and closeted in Texas in the era when he thought gay meant AIDS meant death. Our book critic, Maureen Corrigan, describes the memoir as raw and eloquent. I hope you'll join us. Fresh Air is this afternoon at 3 here on GPB, and you can also listen online at gpb.org or ask your smart speaker to play GPB. Uh, Greg Bluestein, 
you've covered the speaker for a long time. I've known him and dealt with him for a long time. You you got to sometimes listen to him pretty carefully. <laughs> he knows how to kind of almost talk about an issue. Huh? Yeah, uh, he knows how to thread the news. But if you got your microphone back up, good. Um, and yet, uh, it, it was clear from some of his comments that, number one, yes, there is going to be, whether it's a friendly battle or not, a fight over some of the things in the budget that the governor may want to cut out. He made that pretty clear, I yeah, think. Yeah, and one of the things he was explicit about was safeguarding funding for rape kit um, testing that has been such a major issue the last three or four years. Maternal mortality. Maternal mortality. So you're seeing health care and criminal justice parts of the budget. Um, he is already working to kind of build a fence around, yeah. saying that, that these are off limits. Um, he also made some news in, involving the Medical Marijuana Commission. We've written extensively about how um, none of the three state leaders have appointed members of the commission that will oversee that legislation, which means that effectively there is no medical marijuana expansion. You still can't grow or buy it legally right. in Georgia. Well, he said that in, within the next few days, I wager before the president uh, gets here on Friday, um, you'll probably have members of those commissions appointed. So that means that at least the groundwork, the framework for an expansion of medical marijuana can finally start. Yeah, I was I particularly enjoyed his last comment when I asked whether every Republican on the ballot in Georgia, no matter what seat you're running, what race you're in, is going to have to defend the president. And I thought his answer, uh, every Republican will have to make his peace with the president. Is going to have to be at a peace lot. with their relationship with the with president. relationship with the president. And he's someone who, is, who, who, who did not um, flinch at criticizing the president in the 16 campaign, um, especially when uh, controversies involving the Access Hollywood tape and those types of things dropped right near the you know the the final closing weeks of the election. He was someone who is not who who is pretty unsparing in his criticism of him. Um, but I, I from his remarks, you know, it's clear that he has made that peace with the president. Well, tell me I, the 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 questions that you asked him about Medicaid expansion and the cost of uh, what the governor is proposing in the waivers to do. Uh, he he didn't want to address that in a particularly direct way. But what do we what are we anticipating there? What well, are you know, hearing around the Capitol? Yeah, well, we know the governor is going to have to create a sort of inf or expand a sort of infrastructure within his office in order to a to, to 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 verify these work requirements and these volunteer requirements, all these things that in order to get. To be to qualify for his Medicaid waiver, you you have to show that you worked eighty hours a month or whatever you meet. There's going to have to be a bureaucracy a bureaucracy to check that. Yeah. Um, with the with the reinsurance market proposal, um, there's a there's a bureaucracy there too. It might not be big. We don't know how big it is. And the governor's staff has resisted telling us um, what they're expecting because they're saying one step at a time. We'll cross that bridge when we get there. Uh, the waivers haven't even been uh, approved yet by the White House, um, but. Other states have spent millions, some tens of millions, um, in, to set up their, their systems to check these work requirements. Well, OK, if you go to the other waiver and talk about the fact that the governor is proposing to essentially pull Georgia out of the federal exchange and set up a state exchange. In other words, you go to healthcare.gov and instead you'll be redirected to a site here. That worked out so well for the federal government when they launched healthcare.gov. The notion of a bureaucracy that might be involved in setting up an independent Georgia exchange, we haven't gotten a bottom line on it all either. We don't, yeah. And the waiver legislation sets up, uh, you know, basically an office within the governor's office that, that, would, that could be expanded, that could be staffed, that could be implemented to help implement all these policies. Um, what the governor's staff does say is the website itself won't be very very exhaust, you know, won't be very right. intensive. Right. Um, but it'll be a gateway essentially a gateway. to insurers who you can buy uh, insurance from, right? Yeah. But yeah. certainly you'd have to create a new infrastructure for okay. some of these other things. Let's talk about this story that broke while we were on the air. And I, I didn't want to uh, mention it while uh, uh, Speaker Ralston was here simply because he hadn't, he didn't know about it. And I didn't want to try to get him to respond to it. Uh, you guys report at the AJC, Mark Nisi reports, a federal lawsuit was filed just today asking a judge to require quick notification to Georgia voters when their absentee ballots are rejected, giving them time to correct problems and have their votes counted. It was filed by the Democratic Party uh, who claim in the lawsuit that voters 
often aren't told about mismatched or missing signatures on their absentee ballots until it's too late. They And Mark quotes Nakima Williams, the chair of the Democratic Party here, every Georgian should have the right to cast their vote and make sure it counts. Our elections need clear and fair standards to ensure that no one is disenfranchised. And she goes on from there. So here we go. Another lawsuit about how we vote. Yeah. And, and you could call this the battleground Gwinnett lawsuit because last year's election, about 8,100 absentee ballots were were tossed. That's 3% of all absentee ballots returned by mail. But most, many of them occurred in Gwinnett County, which of course has become fast, gone from a Republican stronghold to a Democratic bastion. And the Gwinnett was the center of a lot of this litigation. Um, state re- law requires officials to promptly notify people whose a- absentee ballots were tossed out. But some of those people didn't even get those notifications until after the deadline. Um, so their vote couldn't be counted. Let, let's do this. Uh, I know we got to get one more break out of the way. Why don't we do that? We went so long with the speaker, and, and then we'll come back and we'll finish the rest of the show. I got lots of stuff I want to talk to Greg Bluestein about. We'll be right back. I'm Sandy Scott, Director of Marketing at the Booth Western Art Museum in Cartersville, Georgia. The Booth Museum is a 120,000 square foot art museum that also has a presidential gallery. The museum is actually the largest Western art museum in the Southeast. We underwrite with GPB because it reaches a, a multitude of people that we normally would not reach. To find out more about becoming a corporate sponsor, email sponsorship at gpb.org. In a remote hospital in 1976, a Congolese doctor collected the first sample of the Ebola virus. He didn't get much credit. A lot of the history of Ebola has been written without your name. Yes, but <laughs> it, is, it is not correct. Now he's leading Congo's Ebola response. That story this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. 4 till 7 today on GPB and gpbnews.org. We're back on Political Rewind. Greg Bluestein is with us. Uh, Greg, let's go back to the speaker, because during the break, you pointed out that uh, he had a pretty interesting answer when you asked him about uh, casinos gambling in various uh, forms here. Yeah, I mean, as I mentioned, every year is, according to the advocates, the year this will pass. Well, um, this year, there's a there's a different strategy. They're going for a constitutional amendment rather than hashing out the details first. Um and the speaker did not shut the door on it by any means. You know, he, he went through his whole thought process of, of, of assigning a study committee to, to delve into the issues. And I, and I said something like, well, it sounds like year yeah. 2020 could be there. Yeah. He goes, let's just say we'll be talking a lot. You'll be hearing a lot about it uh, next year. I love the language of the committee that he appointed. I, I don't have it in front of me now. Maybe you know it, but it's. The committee to explore various economic opportunities. Revenue enhancements. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, yeah, except it was all about casinos, horse race gambling, and uh, sports, sports betting. betting. And, and the landscape has changed, right? I mean, five years ago, you didn't hear much about sports betting. Certainly horse racing was part of the part of the dialogue. But now, especially with the Supreme Court's ruling, and as the speaker mentioned, uh, I think that was a very big tell, by the way, when he said Tennessee, who's behind us on everything, including football, they're, you know, they've already us, passed they've their own sports, sports, ga- sports gambling initiative. So um, it, that's usually what, what lawmakers do when they want to uh, drive a sort of a momentum for an issue. They say, all, all of our neighbors are doing this. And so you could easily see next year lawmakers saying, well, Tennessee's done it. You know, well, you know, Florida's thinking about it. Well, these states have done it and they're all our neighbors. We don't want to lose tax dollars from people driving across the state lines. Um, I'm also interested in talking in his conversation with us about the victory, the apparent victory of Andy Bashirs as the Democratic governor of Kentucky. I mean, there it's a close race. There still may be a recount. We don't know exactly what Matt Bevin's going to do to respond to the closeness of the contest. But presumably, uh, Bashir's has won this thing. And, of course, everybody's focused on the fact that the Cincinnati suburbs, uh, which mm-hmm. are comparable to some extent to 6th and 7th districts here, flipped and went Democratic. But there's also another interesting uh, aspect of that vote, and that is in the exurban areas to the east and a little south of, uh, of uh, Lexington, kind of if you went directly south from Huntington, those are used to be red areas. I, I don't think you would call them quite suburban. They're sort of yeah. on that. And they went 
uh, for Bashir's by big mark. You know, these were areas of counties of Kentucky that gave Trump 60 plus percent of the vote and four years ago or three years ago. And they went for Bashir. So it's not just a suburban issue no, in he, Kentucky, at least. And he picked up coal country counties, yeah. too. Yeah. Um, and that also stands. And, and, I, you know, a lot of commentators from both sides of the party line say today that. Uh, Bevin was a singularly unlikable figure who ticked off a lot of teachers and and got gotten fights and uh, with with all sorts of constituencies he shouldn't have. But at the same time, you have Bashirs who ran as a pretty moderate Democrat who didn't who didn't do much to turn off those moderate to even conservative voters who didn't like Bevin. Um, he focused his campaign on something we're very familiar with here, Medicaid expansion. Yeah, and and that argument. And health care and, and more access to health care um, was enough to get, it seems like enough by, you know, 5,000 or so votes, but barely enough, but enough uh, to, to appears to win the governor's race. Do you think that there are Republicans running right now? David, David Perdue is we know he's he's tied to he's tied to the president, whether he wants to be or not. But could a Purdue uh, could a Brandon Beach up in the in the seventh district, in the sixth district, rather, or a Karen Handel, the Republicans who are out there, you think they're doing a little soul searching about what they want to say about President Trump today as a result of Kentucky? If they are, I haven't seen it. I, it looks like they're all pot committed. But this is where Kemp's Governor Kemp's waiver proposal is is going to be play such a big factor because it it does give Republicans a counter. It might not, Democrats might not say it's an effective counter, but it still gives them a counter to say whenever Democrats talk about Medicaid expansion last year, Republicans didn't have much else to say about it other than it's too costly, but no, none of their own proposals. Now they have something at least to to fight back with. A point that the governor's office has made to people like you and me uh, when we've asked them about that uh, is exactly that. Republicans now, we can say we have a plan. Uh, and that's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. And that's one of the reasons they just got, honestly, I think that they got pummeled in the suburbs was there's a lot of reasons, but I think a lot of it came down to that suburban health care argument. Okay. Uh, we've only got time just for a little bit more. And I want to ask you about the latest news of Stacey Abrams. We've seen two sides of Stacey Abrams' uh, future this week. Number one, she signs with one of the biggest talent agencies in Los Angeles. Uh, and presumably there was talk about her having projects she would... Develop on voting rights. On voting rights out there. maybe, a movie. And on the other side of it, she says, yeah, sure, if somebody wants to make me their vice president, I'm all for it. What a fascinating dichotomy now in the life of Stacey Abrams. Yeah, and she's been saying that VP stuff for, for months yeah, now. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, I was surprised it was news again. Same, we have Same here. That. Yeah. <laughs> but be that as it may, the, each of those fresh headlines generate a lot more talk. Um, and look, you know, we could be very well in six, seven months talking about her being on a short list for any number of these of, uh, of a presidential contenders. But she matches up with Joe Biden. That's been talked about a, a, a lot. Um she brings a uh, she, she would certainly put Georgia even more on the map, presumably. Um, and it shows you just what the what a national star, what a national figure she has become in the Democratic Party. All right. We're about out of time. Where are you heading, Greg Boosting? Tell everybody where you're going as soon as we're off the air today, please. I'm headed up to the suburbs to judge a beer contest for uh, a bunch of legislators. A beer making contest, A beer contest, making contest. Right? Yeah. Um, lawmakers, six of them, including Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan, um, have made a lot of beer. And I'm trying to find one of the names. You said Jen Jordan is a, Jen Jordan, the only Democrat? Bill Cowser. Um, the Chill Bill Blackberry Kolsch. And, <laughs> and from Jeff Duncan, the leadoff logger. We, so. We'll look forward to a report on this uh, beer contest from you, Greg Bluestein. Thanks for being with us, Greg. Thanks and thank all me. of you for listening to Political Rewind. We'll see you again on Friday at 2 o'clock. <laughs>